0: All right. Good morning, everybody.
1: Or afternoon. Welcome However, back to the Inking <laughs> Out Loud podcast. Jesus. This is episode six. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Drew McCaffrey. I am a co host of Drew's, Rob Santos. And our special guest, Jared Livingston, is back with us once again. Yo. Yes. What's up, guys? Today we are <laughs> finishing Brotherhood up- of the Goddamn Wolf
0: part two. That was a good ending. That was a. Yeah. Damn good ending to a book, and I, Can I, just I can't say wait to something discuss everything about it. was it that when Sorry?
2: the title of the book is explained in like the last page yeah, or like I the last sentence that. of the book?
1: Yeah. So are we going to just start at at that very last scene then? Here, should we? Shall we? Because I do have something that I, I want to ask you guys about with it. Okay. Um, Hit me. Like, did that work for you? That that like, I loved it. Obviously, where it's just like. The very last line, it's like, thus the brotherhood of the wolf was forged on that dark day. Even though it doesn't really, like, explain where they got the name. Or, yeah. You know? Yeah. You can extrapolate. It gives it
0: kind of the feeling of somebody in the future telling this story. Like, exactly. again, uh, at the very end uh, of the book, when Mirama chooses to let Raj Aten get away, or she has to, you know, let him escape... And uh, it says, you know, the, the, the narrative says specifically in that moment, she would never know how much she would come to regret that. Yep. And again, that kind of gives it the feeling of somebody in the future who knows what's going to happen. And they're just, you know, relating this story as it unfolds.
1: Yeah. So, so but you were, you were okay with that kind of narrative choice?
0: I didn't like it for the first five seconds. But then I, <laughs> I considered that. I was like, no, this kind of matches with a bit of, of the tone. So I, I did. It did I, I came around on it. I'm okay
1: with it. Okay. It was a and good ending. Jared, you like it? Yeah. Yeah, so I I'm I'm a little iffy on that particular instance of it. Sure. For the most part, I think he, you know, he gets away with it because he takes this sort of formal um tone in a lot of his writing yeah. and and he routinely takes a step back mm-hmm. in point of view, goes into more of an omniscient narrator yeah, to like Omniscient, thank you. That was the term so I was to looking and, uh, and that's what this feels like, but, uh, that very last one though, I, I, I felt Did like it feel my memory awkward. of the scene, you know, cause I haven't read this book in seven or eight years. Right. My wow. memory of the scene was that they actually talked about the name in it and I'm like, Oh, huh. Okay. No, they didn't. But perhaps I mean, it happens
0: very early in the third book and you're just blending the two together in your head.
1: Maybe. I don't know.
0: I obviously haven't read it.
2: Maybe, but i I I mean, I guess we'll find out when we get there, but oh, yeah. I kind of had an idea, like, as you read through the book, and Iome and Mirama started you know <clears throat> indicating that they would take endowments from dogs, you kind of got the idea that yeah. this is the origin of the title, but mm-hmm.
0: yeah, mm-hmm. it it made a little more sense at the end there, yeah, mm-hmm. oh <laughs> by the way i the the amount of notes I have for this part like. Just discussion points for this episode, it has more than doubled since my last episode. Excellent. So, I have lots and lots I want to talk about today. A lot of impressions, a lot so of So, before character. we get
1: into um, like the points. the deeper stuff here, I yeah, have yeah. one more point that I want to bring up. Um, Hit me. Uh, let me pull up my notes here. Good. So, I mentioned this during one of our episodes for Some of All Men, but... There are a lot of typos in this.
0: Are there? See, I didn't... Uh, there's no way I so, could notice listening well, to the audiobook as I was. Not necessarily
1: typos, but mistakes. Like, I, what I specifically brought up in... In, um...
0: You think, like, this is an editing flaw? Or you, like...
2: I, I think it was an editing flaw.
1: Um,
0: okay.
2: See, I noticed in, stuff, but I thought it was because I was reading the Kindle version and they, like... So what I brought up in the first book is in the map at the beginning...
1: If you look at the names of the countries, yeah. in the north, there's mutez. M-U-T-T-A-Y-Z. Um
0: M-U-T-T-A-Y-Z.
1: In In the first book, that country is always referred to as Muyatin. M-U-Y-Y-A-T-T-I-N. And they are oh. called Muyatin assassins. That's where all the you know the assassins are from there. In this one, they're mutayan. M U T T A Y A, and they're so from did he, Mutaya. <laughs> did he kind of pull
0: uh, Robert Jordan a la Shadow Rising and just suddenly up and change the name of something and just say ah it's it's different now? But but it's Deal not only it.
1: it's it's different once. There are three different names for this one country and it changes from book to book and, and it's and it's wrong on the map. It's does never it change in the future as Mut- Mut- again on the map. Past book two? yeah. So oh. like <laughs> that that's definitely an editing mistake. <laughs> how how does nobody ca- catch that? That's yeah. like um and so that's I was weird. I was curious and um and like you know th- this isn't like something that got changed in later editions you know like I'm reading I'm reading the first mass market paperback edition which came out a year and a half after the first edition the hardcover So
0: about 2000 circa 2000 I think yeah, it's so- uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf was 99 I yeah. just saw
1: that Yeah and and this yeah. one came out September 2000 but even so they more, had time for a reprint. Even more ridiculous, the back cover copy on this. Oh. All right, go so, for it. No, no, no. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. So it's two paragraphs. Okay. Raj Atan. A H T A N. What? A N. Ah. A N. Uh. Yep. One, I like that even less than the way two, I pronounced. Project three times on the back cover. They they mention his name and it's Atan, on all three.
0: Well, yeah, it was clearly the same person that wrote the entire passage. You just got it wrong, and then somebody just didn't catch it. I guess that ah, push it through. Yeah, we need it. Like
1: <laughs> like, that's some sloppy editing. You know
0: that that does seem a little um, uh, out of place. I I don't have the physical, so I wouldn't have noticed this. But this also did happen on um the Eye of the World, like the first like when it was split into two uh, young adult kind of novels. Uh, those are. From the Two Rivers and to, to the, the blight. blight. Yeah. On on the back of From the Two Rivers, it describes uh Moarain Sidi. Yes. Sdeai, I remember. And I was like, okay, that's not how it was. But when yeah. I was like ten years old, that confused the shit out of me. I was like, maybe they changed it, you know, or it's <laughs> yeah. gonna change in the future. I don't know. Yeah, I do remember. But yeah, that. I, this is not the first time I I've seen something like this.
1: Mm-hmm. Huh. So lazy editing. So that that was just like my kind of kickoff thing here you know, uh, uh, sure sure a kind of funny little uh if you will it's still an excellent book i mean i'm oh, gonna say yeah. i i liked these books a lot when i was you know in my early teens just getting into fantasy and so over time the when you know i started getting into more literary stuff and i just sort of assumed that the stuff i read when i was younger wouldn't wouldn't hold up this holds up yeah this is excellent
0: i can see This blowing my mind uh, as like a a young, impressionable, you know, early reader. Um, That said, I did like Brotherhood of the Wolf a lot more than I liked The Sum of All Men. Granted, it's probably because I was already comfortable with the world and knew a lot about it going in. Um, But it seemed like the battle scenes were bigger. They were more epic. The description was a little more visceral. It was on point. Um, There were a lot more... Uh, world-building moments that are just like, oh, yeah, again, I hadn't even considered that. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he basically just ups the ante in Book 2. Like, like Everything he's done in Book 1, he it seems like he he had a plan, he carried it out, he executed it perfectly, and it's continuing to grow as I read along. So I'm pretty stoked to see where Book 3 is going um, when I finally get the chance to, to dive into that one.
1: Yeah, um, that was something, again, this is a, a change from... When I read these way back in the day, the first book was my favorite. Yeah, and I re and I reread these several times when I was you know a teenager. And just reading through these first two again, Brotherhood of the Wolf is indisputably a better book than the sum of all men. Mm. Yeah, I so still some, yeah, love the Battle of Vlognot. Oh yeah, like it, it's hard not to. That's it's pretty incredible, epic. but I I think this book is better paced. The character development is handled better. Um. He really comes into his own as the world expands, and he gets to sort of flex his writing muscles yeah and uh, yeah. and and we get a lot more from Raja Ten in this one, and this is when he really starts to become this incredible antagonist yeah yeah he,
0: he Rajatan had some some pretty good moments in this book one in particular at the very very end of the book that I really want to I can't wait to get to once we get into our character discussion he had one of my favorite one liners that I think in all of epic fantasy so
1: I'm pretty sure I know what it is and yeah and probably uh, do I don't know it might hurt to talk about this <laughs> and if um, if it is what you're what I'm thinking you're going to absolutely love the beer that I brought when we get to the final draft ooh ooh
0: I like it. Drew always seems to bring thematic beers to the table.
2: Kind of, I'm I like kind it. of disturbed. Like, <laughs> mm, I don't want to know disturbed. what Drew picked.
1: Well, so so let's kind of just recap when we left off last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miramon Benizmin had just uh, taken down the Darkling Glory with the help of some fishy water wizards.
0: Yeah, fishy water wizards.
1: Um, this is the best kind. Uh, King Anders, it was revealed, was plotting against Gaborn. Uh, and then uh, Roland and Berenpol just arrived in Keras to, yeah. uh, you know, join Duke Peldane's army to fight Raja Ten. Yep. Very, very quickly, in the earliest chapters of the part we just read and we're going to be talking about today, um, that whole situation with Keras gets flipped on its head. Yeah. Once again, there's like no big battle, no siege. There's all this buildup. And Raja like, let me in, serve me. But this time he's got a reason for it. His yeah. army of 200,000 men out on the field are getting Somebody's slaughtered by the reavers. Knocking this on Reaver the doorstep. Army. Yep. And that scene where Roland's on the wall and everything is covered in fog, and the fog mm-hmm. slowly starts burning away, and you, they can hear the reavers killing people out in the fog, yeah. and slowly they can start seeing the reavers as the fog dissipates. <laughs> <laughs> and they see just how screwed they are when they see the full extent of the Reaver Army. These, these are the kinds of moments I wish I could see the look on an author's face when he conceptualizes
0: that scene and how he wants to how he wants to write that, and then he nails it that first time. Mm-hmm. That's got to be such a good feeling because that was such a vividly painted uh, scene that you felt that in that moment. you felt that that rare moment in, in a fantasy book where something is slowly revealed before your eyes and you have a chance to go. Oh, shit!
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Right? It's cinematic. You have that chance. Yeah. And, absolutely.
1: And, uh, yeah, so so very quickly, the Reavers, you know, sort of pen Rajatan and the Mastarians onto the island of Karis. And uh, a fell mage appears, who is just absolutely huge. Yeah. Like, 30 and feet I, tall.
0: Yeah. I didn't realize that it was capitalized on Fell Mage, because, again, I was listening to the audiobook. I thought he was just describing it as a fell Mage with a lowercase f, and I was like, well, okay, Farlin, let's... So, let's so every it time. is
1: lowercase, <laughs> but that is a title that they use. Like, like, oh, is it? There, because there are I mages, just... and then there are fell Mages. Oh. And they basically just use Fell Mage as a term for, like, a really okay. big mage.
0: Okay, because to make sure that I had absorbed, you know, the book correctly, as I was preparing for this podcast today, I just read a plot summary, and I saw mm-hmm. that it was capitalized, and I was like, oh, oh did it was really? capitalized. Okay, so it wasn't him just using that same descriptive word over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's actually the title. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and so <clears throat> they realize that the Reavers aren't there to attack Karis. The Reavers are there to build a giant rune on top of a hill soaked with the blood of generations of battles. Yeah. And this rune is the <laughs> Seal of Desolation, and the whole purpose of it is to basically corrupt everything to do with the earth it kills plants it withers flowers it makes the air toxic it leeches the strength out of people and And i yeah it it it, in this this entire battle as it progresses um both sides rajatan and and gaboran realize that the reavers are here specifically to assault humanity like that yeah. this seal the seal of desolation is their sign saying we will supplant you
0: yes Everything... i have that line written down right here we will supplant you i have that i wanted yeah. to talk about that i'm so glad you brought that up
1: yeah and so gaborn shows up late without all of these huge armies that he was promised because king loiker like king anders is secretly a tremendous douche nozzle and, uh, <laughs> and does not have the 200,000 troops or whatever that he promised, and instead he has a couple thousand and they're there to kill Gaborne. And mm-hmm. Gaborne uses his earth powers to smite down the wall on the border of Fleeds and, and beldenook and he he spares all of Loaker's troops, but um, they very slowly and painfully execute King Loker for attempted regicide. Um,
0: yeah, that was a bummer.
1: Yeah, so so by the time Gaborne shows up and he meets <laughs> up with High Marshal Skalbarin, who, by the way, another we didn't even mention him in the first episode. But like yeah. how how like ugh.
0: Yeah, how a douche nozzle I I think yeah. is the is the term the theme we're going with today. Yeah. I um, like that.
1: But so he he meets up with a pretty small army. It's only like eight thousand knights equitable to join. Gaborne's like 60 lords and, and you know so he doesn't exactly have a, a big force with which to uh, defeat the Reavers and mm-hmm. Raja 10's invincibles are just getting crushed and Mystaria's yeah. forces they've all lost their endowments and uh, and it becomes this big like sort of sort of three way battle where humanity against the Reavers, but also Rajatan against Gaborn, and uh, and in the heat of this battle, Gaborn uses his Earth powers to try to save Karis, mm-hmm. and he chooses the entire city. Yeah, that was
0: a cool moment. I like that moment. And he says, uh, "Even
1: you, Rajatan." Even you, Ra-
0: again, another one-liner that I have written down here. Well, I guess this wouldn't really be too much of a one-liner, but it was a specific. Line of dialogue that I had to write down so that we could that I would remember to discuss it. Uh, Even you, Rajatn. Oh, it was such a it was such a good scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see if I wrote down anything else about it specifically. God, I have so many notes about this. We will supplant you. Uh, oh yeah, I wrote down holy shit, Gaborn choosing Rajatn. That was written brilliantly. Even you, Rajatn. That just it stuck out to me so uh, so and, much. And so great.
1: that that actually ties in. He builds up the, the expectations because just a, you know a chapter or two before that. Uh, It's chapter 46, and the name of the chapter is A Hero by Necessity, and it's Rajatan's point of view, and it's when he realizes what the seal is, and he's like, we gotta, we gotta break that seal. We can't let this happen. And so, even though he's like, you know, a total scumbag, and he's trying to figure out how to screw over everybody but himself, he realizes, I have to be a hero here. I'm the only one who can stop this. And he sallies forth with his invincibles, and they get stopped. By
0: the yeah, it, he's got a, he has a chance to really put his money where his mouth is because yeah. he claims to be here to save mankind. Yeah. That's kind of his whole MO. That's his whole uh, platform upon which he stands. And he finally gets the opportunity to prove that to not just to, to his armies and, and mankind, but to the reader as well. It's like, mm-hmm. OK, all right, I'll give him a pass on this. It seems like this is something important. And, and then uh, he gets chosen by the war, and you're
1: like, well, maybe this can work out. Yep. Robin oh, I expected it his from, like yeah, I have one. to put aside my, you know, my skullduggery and my conniving mm-hmm. and and I need to fight the Reavers and Gaborn chooses him and you're like, "All right, you can finally be on the same side now. Are we going to have this redemption arc show up?" And yeah. no. No we are not. <laughs> I wasn't holding my yet.
0: I'm still I'm still hopeful. I honestly, can well, I have a can I lay down a prediction really quick? Sure. Um, there was a moment that we found out during part two, I think I'm pretty sure it was part two. I don't remember discussing this last time. Um, there was a moment when we found out that there are, that there's going to be um, what is referred to as the earth's warrior and that Gaborne has no say in who the earth's warrior is and he, he can't fill in that part himself. Uh, so I cool thought right out. away, that's yeah. See, that's what it turned out to be. But I had assumed in that moment, I was like, Oh, this is how Raj Otten's going to have his chance to prove himself. With as many endowments as he has and his, his desire to become the sum of all men, he'll have his chance to become the Earth's warrior. That was a prediction that I had um, mm-hmm. right on my first impression as soon as I read that scene. But uh, watching <laughs> B- uh Wild in action, oh, that God. was uh, pretty, pretty enlightening, pretty awakening. Effective? Yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I like enlightening yeah. there. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I gotcha. It's like
0: okay, I see how I see what you're doing, Farmer. You I like runes it. In the I, air I and still like you, it.
1: You punch so hard you shatter Reaver's skulls. Oh, like, she
0: punches like a fifty caliber fucking like barret, just BAM. Just shatters skulls no matter what. I love it. Like, oh, did okay. Rogatan
2: ever see the wild?
0: Yeah, What's she, that Sorry. She punched him in the ribs. At the
2: end. Oh, that's right. Oh, at yeah. the very, end, the very end. That's right.
0: She falcon Smoked punched him, him right to the torso. Just wham! Turned his organs to pudding. Yeah. It was great. It's kind of like point. when you
2: first thought he might actually die. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, in that moment I still thought, no, he's, he's still not going to die here. I knew it. I knew he could. He's too good of a character. Uh, actually, this is, I, I think I had a thought written about this here. Uh, see here. Oh, yeah. I was pretty sure Rajatun wasn't going to die when the wild was about to kill him but I had no idea how he was going to manage to slink away and still save face. That's what I was concerned about in that moment. He's not just going to slink away and just be like, okay. You know, I knew he was going to have, somehow he was going to have to save face in that scene. And then his parting words to Mirama, uh, that was exactly the the exit that he needed. I didn't see it coming. Was that the one-liner you were thinking of? That was the one-liner I was thinking of.
1: Yeah, that's the one-liner I was thinking of too. You're going to love my beer when we get to the final draft.
0: Ray Porter absolutely nailed it in the audiobook, by the way. The, the, the inflection and the accent that he gives to Rajatun and how soft his voice is, but the way he still goes, wolf, lord, bitch. He, like, he just over-enunciates it so much, and I just giggled. I, I must have rewound it probably 11, 12 times and just listened to it again and again and again. It was, I was just giggling like a lunatic. It was awesome. I liked it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was an excellent scene. Um. So, do we want to kind of jump into characters then? Because we just talked about Raja Ten. Uh, Boom! Let's do pretty, it. Pretty, pretty extensively. Uh, let's go to Mirima. Okay. Ah. So <laughs> she's a she's a a rune lord and a wolf lord. Now she got like what? She got like thirty endowments before she left here. She got a lot. Yeah. She she's, she was she only enough. supposed to get ten initially, but so many people wanted to uh, give their endowments to her that like they're calling her Herodons Glory and all of this stuff and. Yep. And she gets I. I don't think we get like a, a specific breakdown of her endowments at any time, um, but we do know that she got like scent and stamina from the pups. I'm pretty then, sure we
0: did get a breakdown at one point. Uh, but I don't remember know, what the numbers were. We know
1: were. she has four endowments of metabolism now. Okay. So she can uh, move really quite, quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, uh, I but that. but she also got brawn and much. grace. She got brawn, grace, and metabolism from the humans, and she got as you do scent and stamina from the dogs. So. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And and uh, um and I, I can't remember if she actually got it or not. Did did they actually give her the steel bow? Or did someone just say you need to get a steel bow?
0: You know, I don't remember. I don't know. Because before question. she
1: leaves Groverman, somebody comments her and they're like, You you're Herodon's glory, you're gonna be a, a rune lord, you, you we need to get you a steel bow.
0: I'm going to go with no, just because I'm pretty sure we would have seen it in action, or at least highlighted in action okay. later in that book, because she yeah. still gets more opportunity to fight past that point. She does. So yeah. I think we would have seen... Farland, I feel like, would have at least drawn uh, specific attention to it if she had. But hey, mm-hmm. I could be speaking out of my ass right now. I was listening to the audiobook, and no, I, again, I'm, it was... I'm pretty well, sure was right. like, bed, I was so. just
1: checking with you guys, because I couldn't remember I so. seeing any reference to her mm-hmm. using a steel bow yeah. after that. And I was I'm going like, to go with, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Yeah, okay. Um not yet. But yeah, so uh with Mirama's character, I had I had one one line highlighted. It okay. was in, in um it was page five seventeen. And the context of it, she's she's riding with Iome. And uh and she's talking about being chosen by Gaborn and how yep. she and she says, maybe Gaborne did not choose me so much as we chose each other. Last week, you mentioned that one cannot be so near his creative powers without wanting a child. And then she goes on to say, like, um, he makes me feel more awake and alive than ever before. But there's something else. He makes me want to fight. Mm. And the next line is from Iome. And she says, you're a frightening woman, Mirama. <laughs> and I actually think that's a that's a key line there. Mirama up to this point has always been sort of framed, you know, like she shows up, she's like the flower girl, you know, the innocent. She definitely sort of, uh you know, and and during the climactic battle in Some of All Men, she's pushed to the side, you know, she, she's yeah, ineffective. Kind of. She can't fight in that, you know. And so she's she has this sort of mark of innocence about her. And it's reinforced at the beginning of this book when Sir Hoswell tries to rape her. You know, she's she is innocent she's she's unblemished like that's you know she's, she's sort of a you know a, a precious flower to be protected and then and then she has her moment with the darkling glory and but even in that moment she's awkward yeah about she it. does you know she's awkward about it. she's like that was lucky she's I'm not sure how track. to uh, handle it you know yeah. she's like i i'm i'm awful uh, as an archer like i i still need to practice and all this and then and then just a few chapters later We turn around and Iome says, You're a frightening woman. What a dramatic (laughs) departure from this, you know, carefree, beautiful young flower girl. Yeah. To you're a frightening woman.
0: Yeah, a damsel in distress to a heroine. You know, she, that's definitely not a direction I saw that character taking when you first, you know, meet her in the very beginning of, you know, The Sum of All Men. She was literally one of the first characters to get screen time at all she might have been like the second or third as far as i know um and just again looking at her attitude her whole demeanor uh what kind of character she was when she started versus where she is just one book later it's uh, each i mean i can see why Iomi would say so it's a frightening change but i mean it's to me it's really refreshing because a lot of characters like that do just kind of get swept under the rug you don't Mm -hmm. see um you don't see a lot of characters start off in that very very well no I can't say that you do see a lot of characters start off in that very timid place but a lot of them don't tend to be women. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um and so uh, like YA. you know 18 19 years ago now has yeah. decided yes I'm going to take this character and I'm going to make her a badass.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and she and she, it feels very natural and, and too. And it doesn't not, feel and not just, just suddenly like
1: have her be montage, a badass, right? But like have her start out as this you know yeah you know inexperienced shy sort of like out of you know out of uh her comfort zone yeah and then turn her into in a natural way
0: a warrior exactly and i think that's a rare talent again that uh, farland expresses here the ability to take a character and flip them on their head so much in so short a time and still make it feel right make it feel natural Mm -hmm. not like a a montage passes and suddenly they're kicking ass
2: yeah right yeah exactly you get you get get to it makes sense i would say along those lines uh, that what makes it so natural is that she still struggles with it, even when she gains these new endowments. The one of the quotes That's that fair. I copied down for her was: uh, "She said, even with her new endowments, Rem- Mirima felt impotent. Though she was a wolf lord, she felt all too common still. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You know, even with yeah. all, even with all this going for her, she still struggles with who she was. Yeah, yeah." And And now I I, want to draw kind of a a parallel,
1: but an an inversion in story arcs here, where Mirimus starts off as you know, as we said, like inexperienced, kind of innocent, and and goes through this dramatic change into a frightening warrior. And Borenson starts off as this Hmm. frightening warrior, and man, by the end of this book, (laughs) he has been totally on every level as a character. He has been torn down. He's lost his endowments. He's, he's lost his, his, hopes. he's, he, he's, he's a, a regicide. He, you know, he fails in his quest. He's honestly hard to read during some of these chapters where he's, I mean, it just makes you cringe the way he's uh, totally devoted to Sephira. He's, he's such a victim of the, the endowments of glamour and voice. Yeah. And then at the end, he's literally emasculated.
2: Mm hmm.
0: Well, I have a feeling that uh, the Rob that finished, you know, some of all men would have really liked to see what happened here to <laughs> Borenson, considering how mad he was at Borenson. But uh, oh no, if I remember correctly, by the I was still already starting to come around a little mm, bit on mm-hmm. Borenson. Mm-mm. No, I wasn't. No, I I hated at the end I hated his guts. Yeah, okay, yeah, you did. Maybe it was the maybe it was our last episode during Brotherhood of the yeah, Wolf. Yeah, you were starting to come one, around a little more. you were like maybe around around, I judged yeah. him too harshly. that, that sounds but a you better.
1: Were pissed about him, Kim. I was Silver pissed.
0: You know, you know, you you nailed it on the head. I was pissed. That's right. I I remember now. Um <laughs> that said, I still didn't really enjoy what happened to him. Nope. Uh not just at the end, that? but just seeing him that that whole downward spiral and the, the total loss of of everything that he stands upon. That it it's tough, but uh it's 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 still at in this moment hard for me to say that he doesn't fucking deserve it <laughs> i just uh i i, I still have like I, I definitely came around a little bit on him but i still have, i'm left with that impression that i had after that first book it just stained his name for me his father on the other hand i liked a lot yeah i liked a lot more um wish we had more screen time with roland um anything else we want to add about bornson's character before uh, we perhaps Perry. move on to do, his do father? You
1: have any thoughts about bornson?
2: um Nothing major. I mean, I enjoyed his interactions with Sephira. Um, I thought he was going to kill her originally. Not this time around, but when I first read this. I thought that he would kill her. Um, yeah. So I was kind of disappointed when that didn't happen. It occurred to me. But, yeah. you know, then again, he's literally has to shield his eyes when she gives him a reproachful look so uh which is interesting to see that like the mechanics of endowments work in such a way mm-hmm. yeah for sure so
1: let's let's move on to Sophia then okay okay I didn't
0: have any specific thoughts about Sophia uh, written down actually no wait hold on I did I mean I did have one specific thought about Sophia written down did you want to start though
2: no I was gonna say I think she has the best moment in the book when she yeah. is riding, you know, in and the sun is setting, 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 and she's on the hill and she starts singing. I mean, come on,
0: yeah, it was pretty sweet. It was pretty sweet. She had a moment that uh, at, at near the end of the book. Um, hold on, let's see exactly what I what I wrote down here. Uh, it was specifically about. Let's see here,
1: mage. Uh, she's sixteen, brilliant. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, or at least born to so. guesses. She's 16? No, she's a little older than that. Because she says she, she married Raja 10 when she was 12. I was about and, to
0: pounce on that because this, this is going to...
1: she had her first child at 14, I believe.
0: Damn. Okay, okay so you know, my she's thought... She's like
1: 17 or 18.
0: My thought on Safira was this. Um, Safira forcing Raj Aten's hand by charging into battle herself. That sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Spoilery cough. <laughs> For the Well of Ascension that happened... <laughs> In Mistborn, book two, Alrianne did that exact same uh, thing yeah. to force her father into battle to protect her. The, it was uh, Ashweather set.
1: That's right.
0: She did force his hand into, into yeah. going into battle to protect some his sworn enemies simply because he wanted to save her life, so she, he forced her hand, or she forced his hand. I that same exact it. thing happened in Well of Ascension. So I saw that, and I went, Ha! And more and more, I hate bringing this up, and I say that I hate bringing this up every single time, but I am, uh, my eyes are opening a little more towards Brandon Sanderson's specific style and how much that he was influenced, I think, by David Farland. Yeah. I mean, the the, the the climax at the end of the book, the fast-switching viewpoints, uh, those epic one-liners uh, that really kind of rip your guts yeah. out. And there's even specific moments now that I'm starting to pick up on that I was like, oh yeah, Sanderson did that. Yeah, this which is, now that I'm thinking about, it, 10, is really 15 years later. really illuminating
1: for me, where like this is the first time I've actually read uh, David Farland, Dave Wolverton. Uh, What's safe. going on with that?
0: What's up with Dave Wolverton? Why do I keep seeing that name? Is that like a pseudonym of
1: his? David Farland is the pseudonym.
2: So, oh. so Dave Wolverton
0: <laughs> is his name,
1: and and he was a published author and and did a lot of stuff, and then he wanted to get into fantasy, and he decided to make a pen name and make sure. it a little more fantastic. So he did David Farland.
0: Oh, it's a pun. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So oh, light bulb
1: goes off. But, but anyway, like this is the first time I've read him since getting into Sanderson, which is, which will tell you how, how long it's been since I've read Lord. Sure. Yeah. You know, Cause I started <laughs> reading Brandon. That is like five, like didn't a, you? A few weeks before Robert Jordan died. And Okay. You know, so it's been, it's been 11 years since the last time I read The Rune Lords. Um, And and it really is illuminating. Of course, you know, in that intervening time, I found out he was Brandon's teacher and all of this stuff. And, and specifically, I noticed in this book, the pacing was very Mm -hmm. reminiscent of Bands of Mourning. Okay. Where, where you're reaching a point where it feels like everything is coming to a head. And then you're like, wait a second, we still have 40% of this book left.
0: Yeah, we still have a lot to go. You know,
1: and because uh, fuck get, train's got no brakes, you you get those scenes with with uh, uh Roland and Baron Pole on the walls of Castle Caris, and Roger Ten is at their gates, and you're like, all right, here we go, here's the big battle mm-hmm. showing up, and then and then you're like, wait a second, there's 280 pages more to go. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like this. I thought this was a climax here. What's yeah. going on? And, okay. I've got more to go. And it, and it just, but, but it's not that it's not the climax. It's that it's the beginning of the climax and it just yeah. goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And that's, did it's that an too, avalanche. It's a Brandon they? Sanderson avalanche.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, again, uh, speaking again of Sanderson, I can just, I can just hear people saying, Oh, come on now. You can't compare the two so much. You know, they've got their own separate unique styles. They do. It's just influence that I, I, I want to talk about it. I like, Brandon Sanderson did the same thing in *An Oathbringer*. Uh, those you had like 150 pages of climax yeah. at the mm-hmm. end. You you think it's over and you realize, oh no, that's just getting the, the ball rolling. Now now it's yeah. time for the, for the real shit to hit the fan. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, we, we were still we we're specifically about well, to move on to. We were talking uh, about Saphira uh, simply... before we got in again. Yeah, yeah. I just realized we got pretty uh off track there on a tangent. I'm just saying uh, she
1: had a moment. She yeah. did have a moment. And she had a few, but I think she also served a a pretty important role as a character because she showed, um, uh, how do I put it? She so, uh, like showed a side of Raja 10 that it was an opportunity for him with how many points of view we got from him to see like how, like inside he really is just like a normal guy. He loves his wife like that, but in his thoughts, and in the scenes where he's considering Sephira, it is not that at all. It is very self-centered. It's, yeah. it's very much like this is something like she's so beautiful, I created her. And like, yeah. like it's it's all about what conflict. she does for him. And and like that, that was, you know, that really drives home to me like why <laughs> Raja 10 won't side with Gaborn, won't side with the earth, because the earth is selfless. And that's a major theme with Gaborn in this book that it's like, yeah, like he has to serve the earth and then the earth will serve him.
0: This yeah, is a two way street. As,
1: as like, he, he has in that dream, he wasn't given these powers, these powers no. are not his. The powers yeah. are the earth's and the earth uses them and serves him. I did want to talk about that he too. He serves the earth.
0: Yeah it's a mutual relationship yeah. definitely and it's a lot more mutual than we got to than we le- were led to believe after book 1 yeah um spe- there's another uh point specifically um about safira that i wanted to bring up that oh, i just shit. remembered this is something that i didn't bring up in part 1 and <clears throat> when i realized it in part 2 i was like why didn't i consider how how badly this could go uh my 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 point written down here is how do they not expect this was about halfway through the book maybe about Three-quarters of the way through the book. How do they not expect Rajatun to flip his shit when he realizes they're using Safira to get to him? Are they seriously going to hope that he's just totally cool with that kind of uh, underhanded uh, politicking, if you will? Like, this, this can only end badly. At I, th- I, no point was I considering the fact that Safira could just change his mind and he was going to be like, Oh, okay, you guys went... You guys, you guys went and got her. You brought her here. You gave her all these endowments. Specifically, you, you're brainwashing her. I, I thought Raj was going to flip his shit when he found out that they were using Sephira to get to him. And he did. Um. Mm-hmm. It, well, I mean, he didn't really have much opportunity to consider it though when well, he realizes. Well, no. Sephira the was there. Thing he
1: does after it is like, hey, Invincibles, come here. We're gonna go kill the Earth King.
0: Because he Yeah. Did this. No. No. Sorry, but okay. I, I, he didn't have much opportunity co- to consider that, though. He just it, on, on the field of battle made this this gut instinct. Boom. We're gonna go kill this
1: motherfucker. Like that. Well, like, that was it. He does realize it though. He has like he talks to Safira and she lies to him. <laughs> Not very well. Yeah. She says like, "Oh, he's like he's like how did you how did you come here? What are you doing?" And she's like, "Oh, I heard word about this." And he's like, "Bullshit." Oh, you really? Heard word. There's no no rumors are ever allowed. There's no oh, way the guard that would scene. break that's, those like, rules. Yeah,
0: I gotta stop reading audiobooks. Jesus and, Christ! And that's when, I somehow missed that little part. And that's
1: when he's talking to Borenson, and 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 then he kills Boren or kills kills Borenson's right. balls.
0: Kills. But, yeah.
1: <laughs> um. But it, and because he realizes he's like he's like Borenson. He's like you killed her. You brought her here, and she yeah. Goes. Well, he immediately has
0: somebody upon whom to blame her yes. death. Immediately. Yeah. Uh, which, again, I, I didn't see her charging into battle. That kind of took me by surprise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was kind of a bit of a redeeming moment for her. I was like, okay, this character's cool. I hope she lives now, even though I wasn't expecting to, to hope that. And she didn't, but then as soon as, as soon as she didn't, I knew. I was like, okay, so this is what Farland was going for. He just wanted to, he wanted to give Rajatan just another reason to hate Gaborn's guts.
1: Yeah. Right? And uh, he got it. He definitely got his reason. <laughs> um... But so, so, uh, moving on from kind of Raja Ten and, and Safira, let's stick to the foils kind of thing, the parallels and inversions. Let's go to, to Gaborn. Yep. Uh, there's a pretty huge deal at the end of this book, pretty, pretty big deal, uh, where he has lost the Earth powers.
0: Yeah, he, and there's a reason for that.
1: He, he has chosen Raja Ten, and mm-hmm. he specifically uses his Earth powers to try to kill Raja Ten.
0: Oh, first. I didn't re- I didn't stop to consider the fact that it was because he had chosen Raj and I figured it's because because the, the powers of the Earth are so suited to healing that the moment you intend harm and try to kill somebody. Well, no, I mean uh, the, earth to, he, he I the earth might withdraw.
1: But I did he used the earth powers to help like Mirama and Hoswell. Yeah. Well not Hoswell, but Mirama and Iome against the uh, the Inkaran Air Wizard.
0: Yeah. Oh, the air wizard too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Another yeah. little talking point that I wanted to get to. Might not have time today because we're already at 46 minutes, and we still have a lot of discussion to go, let alone
1: the final uh, we're, we're draft a, we're to get about to. 39 right now.
0: But oh, that's right, because I had started recording beforehand so that the, I wouldn't have to have, give my computer a stroke yeah. with the, hitting the microphone recording. Halfway anyway, through, anyway. Like, 10 uh, yeah, so, so
1: going to, to Gaborn, he's lost his earth powers. We find out a lot more about his actual relationship with the earth and his role as the earth king, you know. Um, yeah
0: his his whole moment uh when he he finally gets to to have his strike against the seal of desolation that was pretty cool. Oh yeah, I like the that. World Gaborne definitely feels a lot more benevolent. I guess that yeah, that's the word I'm going to use for for this episode for describing Gaborne, at least. He seems a lot more benevolent and and just aware of what he's trying to do in this book. Like the, he's he's starting to come into his own. He's using his telepathic powers uh with a little more subtlety. We get to see him choose an entire well, not nation, but thousands and thousands of people all at once.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and there was a oh, shit. Uh, oh no, never mind. That's those are endowments I wanted to talk about. Not 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 the choosing. Um, but yeah, I, I did definitely enjoy Gaborn's character a lot more in this book than I did in the Sum of All Men. He definitely felt like less of a just a manufactured hero in this one.
1: He did. He definitely feels more real. I firmly agree. Uh, I, I think. Gaborne's character development in this book is a major reason why it's a superior yeah. book to *The Sum of All Men*.
0: And and a, a theme going forward with Gaborn and his whole role of leadership um, near the very very beginning of part two here, there's a moment when Iomi says to Gaborne, "Guilt is the price of leadership." Yeah. And this is something that I had heard her say. I mean, maybe it wasn't her, but it was a it was definitely a statement I heard said in *The Sum of All Men* in book one. Guilt is the price of leadership. And I, I made a mental note back then to write it down and I totally forgot until I heard it again in book two. Oh. So it seems like a like a repeating kind of theme for Goodborn's character. And, guilt and that
1: ties in the price very directly to the magic system here. Where Yes. Where at least if With you're a, even remotely aware of of ethics and morality, there's gonna be some guilt involved in, in the taking of endowments. Yes. Because, because it dedicates, I mean, it is such a tremendous cost. And yep. And that, that plays in very importantly with Gaborn in this book, where he, he says, like, I, I don't want to take endowments. I don't want to do it. And he mm-hmm. is convinced, and he takes endowments. Yep. And, and he, he points out at the end of the book, when, when the, the fell Mage is, like, blasting them with all these spells, and he says, he's like, if I had no endowments, I would be dead right now.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He has a moment where he's talking to Tempest, in this book, who is another character that I really oh, yes. enjoyed? Uh, when he's talking to Tempest, and of course, Tempest is feeling really down on his. Well, I'm not on his luck. He just really feels down on himself, to be mm-hmm. honest, mm-hmm. Uh, for what he interprets as betraying his liege. Uh, and the way that Gaborn phrases this this request to him, and it's very important. It's a, it's a request, not an order, despite the fact that he is the Earth King, uh, which, as well as nobility before that, even. He still says to Tempest, I beg you to stay here at Groverman with your wife and children and protect them. He still shows that despite his nobility, uh, both human and Earth, he still doesn't want to make orders about the matters concerning the conscience of his soldiers. He still has the need. He still feels the need to ask it of them.
1: And that is right there. Um, That's the whole like the the days, the Time Lords and the Domains. yes. He is Even if he doesn't think it directly, and he does sometimes think about this directly, he he is constantly considering the domain invisible. Mm -hmm. And how certain actions violate that. And he's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to violate this. So he he makes a request instead of an order. Mm -hmm. Things like that. Little subtle things.
0: He still has a very specific moral code that he wants to stick to. That he's
1: not letting... And and he's he's, he's... adjusting his moral code. Because he just learned about this, like mm-hmm. the the diagram i I guess you okay, audio, okay. so there there's this diagram, it's like a target, and there's the three you know there's like the I'm trying to remember the there's like the domain visible, the domain communal, and the domain invisible, and there are sure. like aspects of these domains, and like the further you go in, if you breach those domains, it's more and more of an evil and okay. and and he he like when he's first Confronted with this, it showed up in the Emir of Tulistan's book. Yes. Um, when he's first confronted with this idea, he's like, huh, that. that's interesting. And now when he's thinking about it again, he's starting to actually integrate that philosophy into his own moral code. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. interesting that given all that, he calls out his own days uh, and yeah. the like half of this book for not getting yeah. involved.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you I l- oh, I love that scene cuz Gaborn in that scene finally says what the reader's been thinking. Like what the hell are you happen <laughs> At that point, he's like, "Oh, if we finally get Gaborn putting words to thoughts that we've been having in the disgruntled notion that yeah. we've been like, just stuffing like, down I inside totally and these for the an days for.
1: being all like, "Oh, we're neutral, we're Switzerland, you know, we don't get involved in the wars <laughs> we're of nobles. Switzerland. And yeah. but it's like, listen, this isn't the wars of nobles anymore. This is the, the extinction of the this human race. Exactly. Quit being idiots. Like, yes. come on. How
0: fucking long do you reckon you're going to stick around and be able to continue writing these stories about people if there are no people left to write stories about? Yeah.
1: Motherfucker. Smarten Smart Smarten the fuck up. A- so, so, Jared, um, on, on the topic of the days, then, uh, you know... They're, they're maintaining this neutrality and they see it as sort of a, a necessary thing and they see it almost as a good. And do you think that, like, uh, is a result of their moral code that we now know about? Like, do you think that's they're doing this because they perceive, like, the giving of information and secrets, like as violating the domain invisible, for instance, or
2: or even yeah, the domain but communal, I guess. Sure, they might see that, but isn't there a a you know much bigger breach by not helping out?
1: I mean, you would think, but maybe maybe they see it as as like a martyrdom kind of situation where where it's like it's better to die than to, uh, violate somebody else's domain invisible.
2: I mean, okay, but who would they be violating by helping Gaborn? Well, they—they'd be violating Raja Tens by eh. betraying
1: his secrets. Eh. So, Talk what happens? You, that what guy. happens when you violate the domain of an evil person? I don't think that matters to them. I think that's the point. To, to them, there is no good mm. and evil. Mm. Well, there's the problem. Yeah, it's it's well, I shouldn't say it. there is good and evil, but good and evil is defined differently for them. It's it's violating the domains is what's good and evil versus like, you know, a more conventional like, oh, that guy's evil because
2: he's. Because he's a
1: dick, like, so like, oh, yeah, yeah, but, but I I, I want to move on uh, uh, character wise, uh, and go to a because yes. oh. there are some oh. major major, <laughs> so <laughs> many cringy moments developments with her in the second half of this book. She was kind of just there in the first half and had some you know some hints and things, but in the second half of the book, she, so she she's drunk the blood of the wild. Mm. Right, and well, the blood of not of the wild, the
0: blood yeah, of the no, wild yeah, was. Yeah, drinking. she did
1: remember. She like when when the wild, like the green blood, early on. Oh shit! Okay, okay, yeah, um, I know. good. And so, she's like getting these sort of the yes. same yeah. um, reactions to things as the wild. Yeah, specifically in regards to the reavers, and wanting to eat the brain of a reaver, <laughs> eat their brains, She's and a she does zombie, this one and she starts and she, getting memories, she gets memories from the Reaver yes. she eats.
0: That was insane. I mean, I, it was kind of redeeming in a way, but at the same time, just being that reader there, what, reading about this, she's eight, nine years old, this nine-year-old nine. little girl who's just scooping handfuls of, Reaver, of of inhuman like Reaver brains out, and she's just feasting on the raw while they're still steaming. I'm just like, okay, uh,
1: that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, craziest of all, at the end... You know, they fished the body of the fell mage out of the lake. And yeah, she and she the Fel Mage's decided brick. to have a spontaneous buffet there, doesn't she? And but but like you know, like this is disgusting. She out all the like, soldiers. Like, this is yeah. disgusting. She's eating like raw. It was so
0: vividly written too. She gets into its mouth, and then she pulls out her knife and she goes mm. right into the roof mm, of its. Fucking... Yeah, and just like saws it open, and the brains just spill out. And it... oh, no good.
1: <laughs> yeah, no good. This bitch yeah. cray. It's. And, but but this is a big deal though because she now understands the reavers,
2: she mm. understands. What yeah, those, she
1: does come across a very specific because particular Because she bit ate of the Fell Mage's brain, she she knows what the Fell Mage was doing. She knows mm-hmm. about the Great Seal, the one seal, and that the Seal yeah. of Desolation is just the part one of it. true master, and uh, the uh, one true master.
0: Yes, and the fact that that they had an ulterior motive to this to the yeah. I almost said Spear of Desolation. Wow, uh, uh, fucking the Seal of Desolation. They, they were there to destroy all the blood metal in the ground. I had no idea mm-hmm. that was even possible. Mm-hmm. And that was another... I was like, oh, okay. So they, they weren't just there to try to kill as many humans as they can. They actually had a reason to, to be doing yeah. what they were doing. And that kind of makes the Reavers a little more frightening as an enemy.
1: A, li- yeah, they're a little less They're very much intelligent. Yeah. They're, they're first framed they're, as kind of mindless, like, you know, horde, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then, and then Avarin gives you this insight into their mindset mm-hmm. and it's like oh no they are very intelligent things they just perceive the world differently
0: yeah what are uh what do reavers eat there's so many of them they're, How, like, they're what carnivores. are carnivores the carnivores they just there's like that many animals to eat and, and hunt inside the earth earth's crust which is from what i understand
1: where they live yeah the underworld uh there are lots yeah. of animals they also they're cannibals they eat each other okay yeah, like oh, that's okay. that's the whole thing. Like, like how they him. grow didn't is realize like they they'll each other. fight and kill each other, and the the winner will eat like the brain and the glands and and stuff of the one they killed and oh, gain those memories okay. and and their powers so and
0: stuff. It's kind of like a uh, uh, hierarchy of intelligence yeah. and wit. as it's it, as it's, it it's survival oh, okay. of the
1: fittest, like at, at its yeah. absolutely most basic level, and that's how you okay. get things like the Fellmages, cool. who, who who have, you know, she the Fel Mage, The first time she shows up, she's being carried on this. Giant like Palantine yeah. by a hundred Reavers on the bones of the Reavers she's eating.
0: That's eaten. a huge bitch. Mm. Yeah,
1: and but then what's to stop her from just continuing to eat all
0: of her brethren? Like, why doesn't she want to get more powerful at that point? Are these like well, questions that are going to get answered? It, it, like, it wouldn't
1: like at a certain point. Like she right. wouldn't learn anything new. She wouldn't. That wouldn't. Oh, so it doesn't.
0: There's no like. There's no like Super Saiyan level above that one even.
1: Well, does she I get mean... a, I mean, reach like just by you, eating you, like a hundred thousand point room? of diminishing returns. If you're already this hyper powerful fell mage, like what's the point of eating a bunch of fucking reaver blade bearers Like, you're not getting anything from that.
0: No, maybe there's a level above you that you don't know yet. I thought I would be thinking if I was uh, a <laughs> fell mage, well, but, <laughs> like, but what, what?
1: how would, how would, Eating reavers that are many many ranks below you help you ascend. You're right. Maybe it wouldn't She's be worth it though,
0: because if it takes like a hundred thousand reavers to eat to achieve that hypothetical new level. Maybe oh, it's not okay. Worth so it. you're
1: you're thinking of it in, in like kind of a, a backwards way. It's not like necessarily the, the number of reavers you eat. It's like eating reavers that know more than you do and are more oh. talented and have more powers than you do. Oh so you gain their memories okay. and their powers. Oh, okay. So if okay. she ate a blade bear, she's getting nothing from that. Oh, because it's it's, a, it's below her. Yeah, there's no. But another fell to get, mage. Okay. Yeah, no. if it she just... fought another fell mage and took her out, yeah, that would yeah. be a big deal.
0: Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, okay, cool. Something to consider going forward, some food for yeah. thought. Uh yeah. Um, yeah. Any any other characters
1: you specifically want to discuss? I mean well I, I don't think we're quite done with Averin yet. Like she's Oh she yeah, has this very Avon, what am I saying? Like, like this, this
2: very this complicated. That she's starting
1: to express a uh, uh, situation now. She's unique among all humans, where she can eat reaver brains and get memories from them instead of getting sick. And, and we know for dying. a fact
0: that's because of her involvement with uh, with uh, spring. That's her name. It, that is. It's what not is because implied. That's what it's implied, okay. A very yeah. important distinction, I think, to make because who knows what would happen if, if businessmen or, or fucking anybody else were deciding, I'm going to eat some reaver brains today. Well, you so know?
1: it does say that normally if human beings eat reaver flesh, they get sick.
0: Oh, it does. It, it mentions that specifically. Mm-hmm.
1: I wonder what that's... Okay.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. It seems like a lot of opportunity for some hiding of things in there. What kind of sickness are we talking about? All right, this is just my... No, like, like, like Brandon Sanderson out. has done this to me. I consider the implications of everything <laughs> yeah. past
1: that point. Anyway, sorry, go on. Anyway, uh, but but so may, maybe this is when we can kind of transition into predictions because we're, we're at okay. 53 minutes. Oh, yeah, I've got a few predictions um, to,
0: to throw down. Yeah,
1: yeah, like like, where do you think <clears throat> Averin is going?
0: Avarin? Oh, I didn't consider that. Oh, shit. No, sorry. Go on. Uh, you were looking I at... I was going to say,
2: what do we... Th- Think about Raja Ten, like kind of saving her, doesn't he? I mean, he does.
1: He he gets on, her out again. of the
2: reaver's mouth. Rajatn? Yeah. Yeah. Raja the one that brought her out of the reaver's mouth. I I had forgotten that he had done this. And I, I thought also that, was just a bunch that of he the just lets her more soldiers. He just lets her go too. Like I, because because when he's walking up, he notes how. The Reaver has been destroyed in a particular fashion, mm-hmm. and so mm. I thought that when he saved her, he would, like, take her with him, but he doesn't.
0: No, he, he thought he was going to, like, kind of realize, wait, something's... Still yeah, fishy. I
1: thought he would, like, connect some dots, but... Fair
0: enough. Yeah, I mean, Rajat seems like the kind of guy with all the endowments of wit he has.
1: Well, so that that is also a, an interesting point, and they bring this up in this where he like he's got so many thousands of endowments of wit, but but it, that just makes his memory perfect. It doesn't make yeah. him smarter. And they talk about that. They're like,
0: "Oh, like, good. I, was, I had some questions. Okay. Yeah. But, oh, like it doesn't it's, like Barnson, it's Barnson, call, Yeah. When when he's
1: eyes. going over the mountains and he's like seeing like all Rajputans' troops who are like dying in the high passes and all the elephants are dying. He's like, the dude's got." like, thousands of endowments away, he's got perfect yeah. memory, but he's still an idiot. Like...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Bordenson. He's got his redeeming moments, doesn't he? Ah,
1: man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, let's move on to predictions. predictions.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, There's, I, I, I thought sometime in this book, Mirima was going to have... We, we see her struggle with Dogbane once, I think, and yes. I thought she was going to have to... There was going to be a seriously... And there might still be... A big kind of character-defining moment where she has to kind of just grit her teeth and, and, and hide the fact that she's a wolf lord for some reason hmm. and that Dogbane perhaps doesn't affect her. You know, and it, I don't know. That just It seemed like a really cool little concept for like a, a scene or, or an idea that I had that I, um, the writer in me just wants to see that explored. Um, let's see. As far as other predictions go, I, I, I mentioned that I had originally thought that Spring was going to be... Not Spring. Sorry. Rajotten was going to be the warrior of the Earth um, looks at this moment like it's going to be Spring. I think, you know, Avarin is going to actually further, I just realized this, I just had this idea, she's going to further explore her connection with Spring, and that it turns out these these deadly, you know, one-inch punches that <laughs> Spring is capable of doing and felling mages and everything, that Avarin might have some sort of connection with her and it will be able to also do similar things perhaps if not the exact same thing trace runes in the air and then strike a blow with the force of a thousand punches or something like that i would love to see a little nine-year-old girl on the battlefield just laying waste to
2: her enemies that would be f-ing awesome i think um i mean she is the first to name spring after Binnisman, right
0: yeah yeah. I, yeah I again it took me so long to realize that that was Binnisman's wild it took me so long to realize that um I think Rajatan's going to have a lot more uh, importance along the way going forward. I think he's going to be a central uh, key, if you will, a central device in in uniting a huge portion of mankind against this threat. Um, other than that, maybe uh, more will come to me, but uh, that's about it. That's
2: all well, the where are we left I have for Jotun. What is this? What is the status of his army? I mean,
1: what... well, his army in Karis is now the <laughs> like. Because they're what, all chosen. What does he even have now? I mean, well, he still has all the countries of <clears throat> nepal He he yeah. he has armies that he hasn't brought up yet. Um, but he is like kind of a wreck at the end of this. He's like he got, I mean, his body was basically destroyed between the he was he was the humble. That's with I think the the most eight important thing And and to focus of uh, uh, the the wild punching him in the sternum, and so yeah. his his body like heals, of course, but. It was so ravaged that it's, like, healed in weird ways. His knee is all messed up now. Which is
0: kind of what we saw happen to his shoulder, I think, after his fight with King in Book 1. Yeah, a little bit.
2: Um, Um, Which, by the way, if there's ever... Can I just say? If there's one scene that I kind of want to see in a movie... It is Raja Ten versus like the Eight Invincibles or whatever. Oh, uh, how
0: sick would that oh, be? Oh, oh yeah. And I have to say, the Invincibles were a little disappointing this yeah. time around because they were they were they were built up to be these ultimate like immortal being fighting machine well, yeah, that, that that
1: we saw in book one. Invincibles, you you have to put it in perspective against a common man. They are like the, the lowest Invincible. They say has twenty endowments. Okay. At least twenty combined. Bucks. Like Rajah has like thirty or forty thousand. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. And although these but not guys were only like, so many of like Hakim and and, um, and Mashket, like they they were like he says they were some of his best that they had over a hundred endowments each. So like these guys are.
0: N- no, serious fighting but i mean it's just i don't know like there's only so many that raj and like he only has so many uh, endowments of metabolism he's only so fast he could be wouldn't it make sense okay. for him to have a few invincibles that have like 10 or 20
1: okay you i know? have a point about raj metabolism where the okay. hell did he get his metabolism in this book the last book what ended with the tree branch falling on his wagon and killing his his vector he had six endowments hmm. of metabolism, and his so it was vector his vector? Died. It wasn't just one or two of his endowments. No, his, no, his it's, it's his vector. He specifically names the guy, and he says oh. at the end of the book, he's like, I have no metabolism anymore. I'm a warrior of unfortunate proportion. And now suddenly at Keras, he has six endowments again. Whoa. Mind blown. I had forgotten about that little detail.
0: Thanks for bringing that up. Shit, yeah. that's more, more food for thought.
1: Yeah. That, I, huh. I think that's a plot hole. I think that was a, a Oh you
0: think it's a plot hole. It's yeah. not something that's good, it's not just food for thought for a later plot no, revelation. No, not at all. Like
1: he, he doesn't have okay. any forcibles. He lost his forcibles at Longmont. He Yeah he's pissed back off about home that. To get more. That's
0: why he went chasing down Gaborn in the first like,
1: place. I, I think I think David Farland forgot that he took his endowments and metabolism away.
0: Shit. <laughs> uh speaking on on Gaborne really quickly, I had a had a uh, a prediction about Gaborn that I wanted to get to as well. Sure. Um he has a moment where he's okay Bennisman asks Gaborn um, you may have to give up some that you have chosen is that what you feel and Gaborn says at this moment or at least from Gaborn's point of view uh, the narrative says at this moment he could not accept death and i feel like that's eventually something that Gaborn is going to have to to learn to accept it's something that he's going to have to learn to 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 command like he like he's going to have to accept sacrifice of some that he's chosen he can't protect everybody and he's gonna have to learn how to make those kinds of decisions Mm -hmm. because at the moment he just seems still he still seems to be following his heart and just every little instinct uh protective instinct that he that comes to him
2: he's left literally powerless in earth powers because he chose the wrong person and then tried to kill them so yeah yeah
0: or maybe he didn't choose the wrong person, and maybe just trying to kill them was wrong. You never know.
1: I don't know. This is only book two. true. We'll
0: see where this goes.
1: Um, yeah, I think we should, we should uh, you know, wrap up if anybody has any kind of final thoughts, last sure, uh, sure. notes, or anything you want to touch on before we go into the final draft.
0: Uh, endowments. It's just speaking about the magic system in general, uh, endowments, that is specifically a thing of men. Reavers are not capable of endowing attributes to one another. They're intelligent, are Read they not? Read and find out. Read and find out? Okay, because there's, a sp- there's this reaver mage that keeps hissing from so far away. I get the impression that it's like kilometers away, or miles, for the I Americans mean, I, I, here. I,
1: All I'll say on okay. this is that the reaver mages are like described as having runes burned into their heads.
0: Okay, okay. Because that seems like an endowment of voice, the fact that you could hear it from so far away. But maybe it's just me being really suspicious about little tiny details in, in the magic system. Uh, again, just because of what Brandon Sanderson <laughs> has done to me, I'm really, really suspicious about the the minutia of, of of magic systems. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I'll read and find out. Okay. I, I do um, think the
1: fell mage though, like that that was just a, a, a an effect of her magic. Okay. Okay. Um, that that she's that was like part of her spell is is like the how loud and and effective it was that it, it sure it hit everybody in within miles.
0: Um, I also wanted to point out, again, on, on the magic system. I was noting that even in uh, Roland, uh, his dreaming state, there was a moment where he was kind of just, just I guess he was dreaming um, or hallucinating, perhaps. I was kind of half asleep myself when I heard this. Um, but Gaborn's telepathic connection to those that he's chosen, it seems to transcend that dreaming state. And even in his dream or whatever hallucination he was having, he still heard Gaborn's orders to flee.
1: Yes. Well, that was and what, that just, it was like the choosing is what pulled them out of this, like, you know,
0: Oh, it was the choosing, yeah. the actual act of it that pulled, oh, okay, oh, okay, yeah. cool, well, that makes a little more sense to me now. But I just wanted to, like, that's a really cool point about the magic system that I originally it. wanted to uh, to note how it functions. Uh, I don't know, uh, either of you guys, Drew, Jared, any other closing thoughts that you wanted to bring up?
1: Jared, sure.
2: I have nothing major. So, um, I have never. one point,
1: and it's, it, sure. it does, again, touch on endowments, and just from, like, a not so much like a literary critic standpoint, just from a reader standpoint, it is so cool. It is so damn cool. He does a great job at instilling a sense of like wonder and awe. And specifically in this book, it's Sir Langley. Okay. It's it's Orwin's champion. This guy, he's given 2000 endowments and, and these, these little descriptions here and then where it talks about how he's wearing like, a hundred pounds of armor and he wears it like it's nothing. And like <laughs> he's and he's like constantly like, all right, let's go, let's get him. And like all the descriptions about him are 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 there to incite wonder and awe in the reader. And it does such a good job like trying mm-hmm. to put this Superman in perspective. He has two thousand endowments.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Like, but still it's still compared just, to Raj Otten, It's just cool. Like, this is yeah. going back to, to Brandon Sanderson. Like, not that I'm saying that he got this from Brandon Sanderson, but one of Brandon Sanderson's, you know, he's got his laws of magic. He calls it what, what he calls the zeroth law. And it is air on the side of awesome. Air on the
0: side of awesome. I haven't when heard down, that, that specific for the one. Awesome I've heard thing. one, two, and three. Yeah. I haven't heard any
1: mention of a zeroth. It's, that sounds pretty it's, cool. It's like, it's like you know, when you're building your magic system, whatever, you're building your plot, and you're you're trying to, like, find limits and things, but you're like, oh, well, what about this or this? He says, choose the more awesome way. (laughs) And yeah, and that is absolutely what David Farland has done with this magic system. He made it awesome.
0: That's one of the things I love so much about David Farland now, and that one of the reasons he's one of my, uh, at this point, one of my favorite authors currently working in fantasy is the fact that he can make this this spectacle not just this this awesome action this climax but the spectacle that's just it fits in the in this this kind of cinematic mind's eye that you can have and it just it, it flows so well and like jared you brought up earlier how you, there's specific things now that you can say that yes i've thought about this i would love to see that specific scene on the big screen mm-hmm. that would be awesome and the fact that an author can provide you with moments like that that'll give you that specific thought is a big accomplishment i think mm-hmm. farland is a very cinematic spectacular and i mean that in its literal sense not its denotative sense or it's not not its connotative sense i should say he's a the spectacle in his scenes are are very very uh they shine brightly if that's the term i want to use there they're very very good to read
1: Um, so uh on on that note um i think we're going to wrap up discussion here on brotherhood of the wolf which i think we all greatly enjoyed yes yes yeah um Sure. So, a note for our listeners uh, the next couple of episodes, we will be taking a break from the Rune Lords, and we're going to be covering Warbreaker by Brandon Sanderson. Yes, our second Sanderson book. Yeah, and we're going to have a, a, a couple of new special guests for that. So, you'll have to wait and see who, who shows up for <laughs> that. Um, yeah. Warbreaker is uh, a book
0: that I can come from this angle. Like, I have read Warbreaker 50 times. Like, I know that book back to front so many times over that i i won't be me coming in with predictions i'll i'll be uh a lot more well versed on this particular uh volume yeah. upon which we're basing the next episode
1: uh yeah so so we'll dive back into the rune lords and we'll finish Wizardborn born and lair of bones which are which conclude the uh the earth king arc of the rune lord series um so, yeah, if you're not interested in Brandon Sanderson, I'm sorry. We're we're going back to him. We're going back to the Cosmere. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll be doubtful.
0: doing that quite often during this podcast. Yeah, right.
1: But I think now yeah. yeah, we should uh, dive into
2: the final draft. Let's do it. Let's dive into the final draft. Right, so, Jared. Uh, who,
0: who's starting? Jared, what what have you Share been with the class. today?
2: I brought up something new today that I've never tried before. It just looked, honestly, the can looked interesting, so I chose it. Hmm. Uh, This is a sour from... Bending a book by its cover. I brewing? see. Brewing, New Image Brewing. Sorry, it's called Dad. Oh, okay. It is a kombuka? kombucha. Kombucha. Kombucha.
1: Oh, interesting. That's like the. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm sorry, guys. It's it's the the like kind of um, it's like fermented tea or something like, like I don't know exactly what it is. It's like fermented fruit tea or something.
2: This is from New Image Brewing. It's a kombucha. New Image Brewing. Okay. Brett saison. Ooh. Uh, okay, you explained what kombucha is? Because I didn't know. I,
1: I I don't even really know that well. It's like it's like fermented is, fruit tea or something like that. It
2: it's it's like a new agey thing.
0: Shit to come up with.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so anyway, <laughs> is it a hipster thing? Is that what it is? The end result is it's uh it's a sour, uh quite good. Check it out.
0: Yeah. There it is. Oh, nice black. Is that a, is that a white heart it has on it? I don't know what that is. It's like a little cloud or something. Yeah.
1: What is know. that symbol?
2: Anyway.
0: Oh,
1: okay. All right, Rob, what are, what are you drinking?
0: I I have been drinking one of my old favorites that I keep forgetting exists, and then I see it and I go, oh, that's right. This is a Belgian Moon, straight-up standard Belgian Moon. Uh, it's a very citrusy beer. It's 5.4% Belgian-style wheat ale, Belgian white. So that's what it says here. Uh, it's called Belgian it's, Moon? Yeah, it's called Belgian Moon, yes. It's Blue Moon. You don't have this down there? No, it's it's Blue Moon.
1: It's Blue Moon down here. Oh, it must you have be Blue moon, moon down there, it's yeah. The exact it's, same can. It's Belgian Moon. Look at that. Yeah, it's the exact same can and and design oh, and everything. Shit. It's just called Blue Moon. Now look down at this. Here. Look how thick. Look how opaque it is. It looks yeah. like it's just orange. It looks like
0: orange juice. Yeah, you can't yeah. even see the carbonation, but it's oh, very very have citrusy. You
1: ever, have you ever tried it with a slice of orange in it?
0: No, oh, it, it feels like it's already had an orange squeeze into it. But I would try it with. I definitely. Oh, that's something to consider. I'm going to try that. Game changer,
1: future. bud. Game changer.
2: Blue Moon holds yeah? the honor of the first illegal beer I ever had in a bar.
1: <laughs> that was my what? cousin Pat chiming in.
0: Yeah, um, that, that's a shout out to Pat. By the way, he's going to be our sound engineer on this podcast. I don't know if we've actually mentioned his name during an
1: episode yet. I, I think I think we give him one shout out, but and we'll, now we'll continue to give again. him shout outs because he's doing excellent work for us. Woo! Um, yeah, and, and he'll a huge he'll undertaking. be in on future episodes as well. he will look (laughs) forward to it so for for my beer today
0: yes let's get to this (laughs)
1: oh god uh rob mentioned a specific line uh at at the end of the book and, and i'm gonna actually read this off here if i can find it um let's see here it's from mirama's point of view I could even play the audio for this. And, and, <laughs> I and, go for it. And uh, uh, Raja Ten is, is severely injured and he's on the ground, and everybody's trying to convince Gaborn to let them kill him, and he yep. won't. And Mirama goes back up to him because her arrow is still in his knee. And uh, and she says, I'll thank you for the return of my arrow.
2: Knocking <laughs> toward the shaft, she wanted him to know in. that she hit him. She
1: wanted him to know that it was her shaft that had scored on him for all the good it Yeah, had done. she does. Rajaten climbed to his feet, presented the arrow, and answered in a seductive tone. Anything for a beautiful woman. She took the arrow and surreptitiously sniffed at him to catch his scent, so that if she ever needed to track him, she'd be able to do so. And then Rajaten says, I have but three words for you, young woman. Wolf. (laughs) Lord. Bitch. And the beer I drank today... Yes! Yes! is from Dogfish Head in Delaware.
2: (laughs) It is a stout
1: brewed with honey called Bitches Brew. Oh,
0: nice. (laughs) Zing. I like it. (laughs) I don't know how you keep finding these thematically appropriate beers. beers. (laughs) Oh my God. So, uh,
1: cheers, guys.
0: That was awesome. Cheers, man. I'm going to slam the rest of this one right now and finish off my second beer. I had one already. Here we go, boys. Farland. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta get the sound, Jared. Come on, this is a podcast.
0: <laughs> uh, that disgusting shit <laughs> that's always left at the bottom of the glass. What is that? Yeast? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's wheat. It's wheat sediment.
1: It's oh, an unfiltered wheat beer.
0: sediment. Oh, now yeah. I'm significantly less disgusted by it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, cool. Uh,
1: so I think that's the conclusion of the final draft. And sweet. Yeah. So we are now finished with Brotherhood of the Wolf. And we'll be going into Warbreaker yep. next time. So, as usual, th- <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, everybody. It's been, it's been awesome. I love doing this.
0: Let's do this so regularly. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. We'll catch you next time. Bye,
0: everyone. Uh, see you later, guys. Till next time.